Welcome to the At The Coalface podcast with your host, Jason Greenwood. This podcast is all about what it's really like in the trenches of digital and e-commerce. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. It is awesome to have you along for the ride. It's my distinct pleasure to welcome Peter Bray from Impact.com to the podcast. Welcome, Peter. Oh, thank you. No, it's my pleasure. I've been a, been a long-time listener and follower on LinkedIn, like I think the other 3 million people who follow you. So for, <laughs> for me to be on here, it's great. Thanks so much, mate. It is. It really is a, a labor of love in terms of what I do from a content and, and podcast perspective. It's really, it's a joy to be able to connect with so many awesome people and get some incredible guests uh, such as yourself on the podcast and share their story with the broader world and try to expose, particularly down in ANZ, particularly brands that are active and tech that is active down here in this part of the world because we sometimes get overlooked by the great north american beast at times so anytime we can put these local tech companies and local tech brands that are doing good things down here up on a pedestal it's something i absolutely love to do yeah and look it's interesting you say that because impact.com is a global company but as operating in this market and operating in in asia pacific we sometimes do get lumped in to be this this one region but it is such a nuanced market obviously different countries different language cultures wants and needs and also different maturity across the region and uh, you know what we do see in Australia from a kind of e-commerce marketing digital side of things is that Australia can definitely lead the way, even though it can be behind a little bit behind different uh, different markets like the US or even parts of Europe, UK. It, it can still be a vanguard for this region and kind of learn from the the mistakes of the other markets. Couldn't agree more. We have obviously some incredible tech brands, SaaS tech brands e-commerce, omni-channel, retail tech brands. We've got some massive companies coming out of Australia. Obviously, we've got Afterpay, we've got Browse, we've got so many other technologies that have come out of this part of the world that are that have really forged their way on the world stage and either been outright acquired or, or nested underneath bigger global brands. And it, I totally agree with you. I think ANZ often punches above its weight when it comes to tech leadership. And it comes, I think, a little bit, as you mentioned, from our fast follower status, right? So we watch the we watch the rest of the world and we say, oh, there's some cool stuff happening here. There's some cool stuff happening in the States or there's some cool stuff happening in the UK or there's some cool stuff happening in Asia, whatever the case may be. And then we take those and we localize them through our local lens, our local filter. And then we go back to the world with kind of our version of how to do those things. And it is, it's an exciting time. And I guess that leads nicely into the the questions about impact.com and what you guys actually do. You're, you're a partnership platform. And at least as far as what I can tell online, I've, I've never uh, had the pleasure of using your platform or needed to use your platform for any partnerships that I've run. But as far as I can tell about your platform, and you, almost two um, ICPs, as it were, two ideal customer profiles. You've got brands and you've got publishers. And underneath that sort of brand profile, you run, you can help brands run everything from influencer marketing to affiliate marketing, biz dev, SaaS partnerships, et cetera, et cetera. Then on the publisher side, again, you have that affiliate model, influencers and creators, mobile apps and content publishers. So you really have kind of two buckets uh, of ICPs that you service as a partner, a SaaS based uh, partnership management platform, right? 
Yeah, and what's interesting is that I'll be completely upfront and I feel we we as a company need to do a lot better in being able to clearly articulate what we do. We're, we're on a journey of creating a whole new category and we call that that category partnership automation or partnership management. And, and that crosses a whole bunch of different uh, internal teams and, and wants and needs because the idea of partnerships isn't new. It's probably the oldest type of you know, demand generation that there's ever been, right? To to entities or organization organizations you know, swapping swapping customers or referring customers. And in in the age of of the internet, this has been going on forever as well. And a big chunk of it got earmarked into what we call the affiliate world. And and our whole proposition is saying, look, it's it, it, it's getting more expensive to acquire new customers. And you had a, a great conversation with Jason Andrew from SBO and a bunch of other businesses about that and the impact that has on, has on businesses and the rise of search and social costs. And so what we're saying is, look, what if you could stand up a channel that is, that is outcome-based largely and that you can start to work with any type of third party where that third party is driving new customers. And then you can remunerate those uh, third parties, those partners based on the value of the customers that, that come to you. And I mentioned that word and you mentioned as well, which is affiliate. And if we think about digital marketing for the past 20 years, affiliate's been this kind of bottom of the funnel, coupon, cashback, margin cost channel that kind of just sits there and drives stuff into the business. And and with that, uh, a lot of organizations, a lot of marketers that start to really quiz that channel and want to try and understand the true value of it. And and that's this murky world that that has been affiliate marketing for a long time. And and what impact Ocom has done is, you know, to come in and say, hey, look, an affiliate, that type of coupon, cashback, comparison, loyalty, that's just one type of partner. So why wouldn't an organization, a brand, a marketer want to work with another business and leverage the, the trust that business has with their customers? Why wouldn't a marketer want to work with th- their own customers? And those customers can drive their family, friends, their social network to to the brand to, to acquire new customers or to get sales. And so the impact technology enables B2C or also B2B brands, the ability to leverage any type of third party to drive customers and then remunerate them in ways that make sense. And, and as I mentioned, like this isn't new, but the idea of putting SaaS into the mix and providing a technology that can provide this partnership opportunity to scale, that's what's new and that's the category that we're creating at impact.com. Love it. I've been exposed to many different types of partnership management systems, platforms, technologies, whatever you want to call them, processes. And that's mainly through my partnership and and obviously when I've worked agency side partnerships with SaaS tech platform providers. So whether that be Shopify, Big Commerce, whatever, we're talking omni-channel tech, e-commerce tech, could be ERP tech, could be pause tech, could be almost anything related to that commerce side of the industry. And whether that be on-prem, whether that be SaaS, whether that be, doesn't really matter what their underlying delivery technology looks like or the way that they charge their customers. But I've been exposed to so many different types of ways in which these companies manage their partnerships all the way from the management is 100% internal and, and it's not transparent to the partner. And maybe they've got an internal Google sheet where they list all their partners and the maybe let's say there's a commission or, or some other perk that's associated with being a partner. They track all that in a Google sheet all the way to bespoke partnerships that are built out in something like Salesforce as part of a CRM. And then they're managed through the CRM and, and th- some sort of 
CRM portal that the partner has access to all the way to more partnership models whereby they have their completely, you, know, you log into their platform, you can see what partner tier you're at, what you qualify for by being that partner. And again, this isn't always a commercial benefit. It might be something like, okay, with this partner tier, you qualify for free training, or you qualify to be a beta tester of this new functionality of our platform, or we're going to, you know, pass you deals. If you get to a certain level of partnership with us, then we're going to be able to pass you deals from our sales team. And we can partner on those deals to make sure the customer is getting the best service that they can get from the partnership. And there, there isn't always a commercial component, but oftentimes there is. And so I guess I've seen the gamut all the way from zero transparency and you really don't know what the partnership means to you as a partner all the way to this really clear transparent open honest clarity around what your partnership means to the partner or to the vendor and i guess what you get what are the benefits you get of out of that partnership and I, I guess that's the experience i've had with partnership management platforms and i guess although you do service those industries that's not the only industries that you service a broad range of industries but i guess maybe you can share some of your experiences or the impetuses of how impact.com came to be through that lens of all these SaaS technology companies in particular that want to roll out a partner program, but to build something from scratch is so difficult, so complex, so expensive, so slow that that kind of almost necessitates if they want to roll something out quickly and, and efficiently, then they almost have to use something like impact.com. I think what you just articulated was the, the challenge and the opportunity which is over your experience, you've been exposed to a, a number of different ways, maybe some tech, maybe some service oriented stuff to try and bring the idea of partnerships to life. And there's been no consistency. There's been no centralized system of record. And it's usually bespoken and unique to the organization that's, that's running it. And, and that is the opportunity. That's what we're doing. We're saying, hey, what if you could create some sort of systematic way in which partnerships can help your organization thrive. And, and, and that thriving might be, yeah, sure, traffic driving, sales driving from an e-commerce presence, or it might be a B2B referral program that a SaaS provider wants to stand up. And so the flexibility of, of our technology is what is what enables that. And the whole kind of driver is saying, hey, acquiring new customers is getting more and more expensive. So use this technology to really standardize or stabilize that kind of acquisition channel. But then on the same token, have some workflows in place that is, that is really easy and automated. Right? That's the idea. How, how do you bring that to life really quickly? And I think a good way to start the journey, and it seems quite logical now, but it's always after the fact, you, you know, oh, that, that, that makes perfect sense. But in the moment, it takes a bit of time to actually um, identify that, hey, this is groundbreaking. And I'll start that with the, with the impact story. And that, and that, that is really a company that's been around for about 12 years. And the founders of, of Impact, and it used to be called Impact Radius, and some people still know it as that. The founders had originally uh, built, scaled, and sold one of the world's biggest um, affiliate networks. Um, and that's called Commission Junction. And they identified a huge bunch of pain in that channel in the affiliate network world, which is lack of transparency. It is inability to be able to, to be able to do really dynamic commissioning. So for example, think about an e-commerce store that has a couple of you know thousand SKUs. Not every product has the same profit margin. In that that traditional kind of affiliate marketing world, you're paying the same commission out on every every sale. Right? So your profitability gets a bit messed up. 
And so they're just a couple of the examples of the things that needed to change. And so the, the founders of Impact built the technology and continue to evolve it so that traditional affiliate marketing can shift into what we call, call partnerships and say, hey, let's do this in a way that is data-driven, much like the way marketers can do their search and social and display. They can actually take a data-driven approach to this, this partnership channel, but then they can diversify so they can open up new ways and different types of partners so that this channel can continue to grow. So you've got your own customers driving you customers. You've got influencers, content creators, publishers, and your traditional kind of coupon cashback guys. Yeah, sure, you can work with them too. And so in, the, in this journey over the past decade and a bit, that's the, that, that's the engine behind what Impact's done. And, and, and about two years ago, that's when we started to identify that, hey, we're a SaaS company. Right? We are a company who needs to find new customers. And so we started to architect our infrastructure as well as our go-to-market around how can we better serve the B2B world also. And so we have a referral program with consultants like yourself who actually sign up to be a partner on Impact. And then you refer us traffic. And of course, there's some sort of benefit to those re referring partners, all transparent, all completely disclosed. And then we're also, we've also expanded our total addressable market, our, our TAM, by providing the tools and this infrastructure to B2B organizations. And there's nothing new about this B2B shift. I'll, I'll reflect upon when you had that, yeah, you had Fiona Norton from Big Commerce on, and you spent a big chunk of that chat talking about how Big Commerce have moved from a kind of beta B2C to a B2B play. Not, not moved, they've launched a new, a new product and, and we've done the same thing. And, and a great example of that is where Shopify and, and Shopify Plus, they were, we were in deep discussions around integrations and certification. So we have a, a really tight plug-in with um, Shopify and Shopify Plus. We're only one of, uh, I think it's 45 certified Shopify Plus plugins apps globally. And when they started to look at our technology, they're like, hang on a second, Shopify could use this to acquire new customers, where the Shopify merchants can start to refer Shopify to other customers and, and therefore Shopify gets, get, uh, sorry, therefore that, that merchant gets remunerated by Shopify. And so not only have we integrated with these big systems and platforms integration partners, they're actually taking our technology on to, to acquire new customers themselves. So again, the idea of partnerships isn't new, but the way in which you can operate who you can create as a partner that's what we're doing and that's what that's what's helping us see such significant growth wow that's a lot to uh that's a lot to digest that's pretty exciting and i'm guessing that you guys uh, again i've never used your platform so i won't pretend that, that i know it uh inside and out because i certainly don't but i'm guessing that your platform allows and supports the flexibility for the vendor or the the lead company that's trying to onboard partners into their business in some way and i'm guessing that the vast majority of the time your clients that are using your technology are B2B businesses of some variety, oftentimes, and they would be the likes of, of the Shopify. And sometimes they may want to extend what you guys do down into their customer stack so that it's not a referral, but almost like a nested referral model, in, in, which you, you just described in detail. But I'm guessing that you also are in a position whereby instead of just having a partner management team that goes out there and sort of cold calls businesses or potential partners and then goes through the presentation process, et cetera, et cetera, that you guys can handle from the point of creating almost a potential partnership landing page where it describes the benefits of being a partner right through someone potentially signing up for consideration to be a partner. If they're accepted by the B2B business, then the onboarding of them into the partner portal 
I'm guessing you hand from the point of consideration of becoming a partner all the way through to their active daily or monthly or weekly activity and cadence of being a partner and managing the requirements of both the vendor and the partner or the person running the partnership and the partner themselves. There's usually responsibilities on both sides. And I'm guessing that you manage both of those things as people move up, say, through partner tiers, et cetera. And then also managing both the monetary and non-monetary uh, benefits and responsibilities of, of both the partner manager and the partner and that effectively you've brought this tool together all under one roof and it effectively streams the lines that an entire process end to end and and then and obviously manages it over time yeah yeah indeed and let me talk you through a couple of ideas right and some of these are real but everyone who listens to this can apply it in their own world and i'll, I'll take you through a couple of angles one's b2b and also one's on that b2c side and so on the B2B side of things, Canva is a customer of ours. They run their entire global program uh, across B2B and B2C from Australia. And they use our technology on the B2B side to enable any type of partnership with largely their, they call their, their Canva creator community. And so they onboard their partners and these can be graphic design firms, they can freelancers. And then those freelancers or those firms are using their audience and their reach to promote Canva. And when they promote that, when they promote Canva and those, their audience is signing up to become a Canva customer on the free or the paid pro or premium version. And then that, that, that freelancer or that, that firm is then getting remunerated. And in that process, as you, as you identified, there's a lot happening. There might need to be some sort of sync up into the Salesforce CRM that the Canva B2B team need to look at. There needs to be some sort of pipeline management. There needs to be some sort of way of identifying when that conversion has taken place on the, the on-site signup. And, and look, we automate all of that. We plug into all the tools, but it does get a little bit more clunky for, for some organizations when you've got a sales team. So there might be a lead submitted on the website, but then an account executive has to you know pick up the phone or set a demo and then start to walk through the platform and then post demo that Kind of an account executive or that salesperson then has to step that lead from a, a diag to a demo to a you know proposal stage. And so our technology kind of plugs in there as well and helps an organization see, hey, whenever these leads are coming in and as they're progressing through a funnel, yeah, we're totally giving visibility on that and also remunerating accordingly. And so the B2B opportunity is, is huge in terms of being able to stand up an acquisition channel for sure. But what I might do now is flip on the B2B side, sorry, the B2C side and talk you through a couple of the, the opportunities in there as well. And I think a really good one is, is Zalora, Southeast Asian fashion, e-commerce, marketplace, really interesting business, a very complex business as well. And so how they use our technology they use our technology in a number of ways. One of which is to say they'll work with those traditional affiliates like a shop back where they're incentivizing customers on their, on, on their site um, and then they get some sort of cashback remuneration. Sure, that's pretty standard. Laura also work with content creators, very bespoke niche um, publishers, bloggers. But then what they've also stood up is what they call a, an ambassador program. And that ambassador program is their own customers. So they contract their own customers to um, effectively be micro-influencers and then to promote Zalora products, outfits, what have you, via their social channels, via coupon codes or links to their family. And so there's almost like this mini, mini sales force who are out there promoting Zalora to their, to their network. In Southeast Asia, mobile is everything. And so this is getting pushed out and creating a huge amount of um, interest and traffic back to Zalora. And those ambassadors, those micro-influencers are getting remunerated. 
So it's a very different way to that kind of B2B thing, but you can see how it's still just using the same premise of leveraging a third party to drive to drive traffic and, and to drive conversions. And I might share another one with you, which is one of my favorites, and it's a B2B approach as well. And there's a company um, in, in, in Australia called True Protein, and I'm not sure if, if they ship to, to New Zealand or not, but they, they're a supplements company, like protein bars, vitamins, that type of thing. And they had a wholesale team. Right? So they had a, a website, they are great at that e-commerce, but they also had a wholesale team who would, who would go and knock on the doors of gyms, um, Pilates studios, and they started to try and sell a thousand bucks at a time of their product to, the, to these gyms. Now, gyms are typically small businesses, right? They're, they're great at running their gym. They're great at being trainers, but do they necessarily have a point of sale system? So they necessarily want to outlay a thousand bucks to buy a composition of proteins or supplements to sit behind the counter in their gym. Do they want to store that? Do they want to make sure they have the right composition of product that people are going to buy it? And so True Protein would stand up this wholesale relationship at a 60% RRP. And then the gym can make the make, make the margin on top of that by selling it at 100% RRP or you know 80%. And, and when we started discussions, I said to them, well, look, wouldn't it make sense that rather your wholesale team going and onboarding these gyms and then trying to work through your ERP and distribute $1,000 at a time of the, these packages, wouldn't it make sense to turn the gym into more like what we call an affiliate model? where these gyms, these PTs, these Pilates studios, dietitians, whatever it is, there's a B2B relationship where that gym gets contracted through impact, gets contracted to, to, to True. And then True give them QR codes, links to use in EDM, promo codes to use on their social, a unique landing page. And that is say true.com.au slash gym A or gym B. And what that then, what that then means is that now that gym can promote True to their customers, either in person at the gym, via their EDMs, over their socials. And then those customers are, are coming through to purchase on True's website. Key benefits there. Number one, there's potentially some sort of discount or membership benefit that the customer, the gym member gets, right? So they might get 10% off just for being that gym member. The gym gets a commission without ever having to have outlaid any cash to buy stock or store stock or have a point of sale. And then True as the brand gets to own the customer. They get to put the customer in the marketing funnel. The average order value is higher. The um, repeat purchasing is higher. They can start to remarket to them. So this type of thinking can actually change how B2B can work in the D2C world as well. And that example is something that we're, we're taking to a whole bunch of other marketplaces as well, because there's a huge amount of opportunity in that. And so I guess that then starts to work for traditional B2B brands where they effectively are wholesaling and they're forcing their B2B customers to become a wholesale customer and actually buy and warehouse and floor the stock and turning them effectively into a referral partner or an affiliate partner instead and changing the business model to where by effectively the, you know, it's, it's almost a hybrid between that reseller model and a dropship model, but it's moving the customer. It's effectively turning them into a pure acquisition channel. And then I'm guessing that you have the facility to either, you know, pay them an affiliate fee as a one-off exercise or to retain them as effectively the affiliate partner for the lifetime of that customer. So that every single repurchase that end customer makes with the brand, then they get a, they get a cut of that or a commission on that for, it could run for six months, 12 months, 24 months, or, or for the life of the customer. I guess there's different rules that can be put around that. 
So effectively, what you're saying is it's taking this traditional B2B business model and turning it more into an affiliate model instead, whereby the brand, the manufacturing brand, gets the direct relationship with the customer and the referral partner gets a cut of the action as a result of that. And that's the benefit that they receive. Yeah, exactly. And I'll look at this idea of affiliate as a, it's a mechanism. It's pay upon outcome. It's not a channel. It's just a way to work together. And, and, and that's what we're seeing is, is creating some really interesting conversations. And I'll, I'll share one more with you, which is Sephora. Sephora had a model where they would have certain websites um, driving traffic to Sephora. And then Sephora would remunerate those websites for any sales that would happen. But behind the scenes in their, their middle office, they would have a whole bunch of clunky kind of digital and, and finance teams trying to figure out how do we actually remunerate those partners when someone might go to Sephora and then buy a mixed basket. So someone might buy some L'Oreal plus some, some Sephora collection plus some, you know, maybe Estee Lauder. And so then what would happen is the Sephora team would then go and go and build effectively those brands to cover the cost of that cost of acquisition. And so what we were able to do is work with Sephora and architect a solution where the brands are effectively directly funding in an automated way um, that traffic that's coming and, and doing mixed basket purchases. And so the benefit that someone like Sephora saw was turnarounds of invoicing and, and paying those, those partners who were driving the traffic, that would take anywhere like six to 12 weeks and a whole lot of human hours. We automated all of that. So there's actually a lot less stuff that gets pushed and pulled throughout their business. And, and look, these are quite unique use cases because people just sometimes do what they've always done. And so the conversations that we have in our in entry point is on this idea of customer acquisition through traffic, but there's bigger opportunities at play. And that's the type of conversation that, that, yeah, that we like to start having. Makes sense that you would want to do that. And it feels very much like that you are, in a way, you're facilitating your one part Rakuten, your one part Commission Factory, your one part Smile.io or Loyalty Lion, which obviously have their own affiliate you know, and referral programs built into the loyalty platform itself. It, it feels like you're sort of a, almost a hybrid platform, right? Because most partner management platforms, they, they have a focus. It's either part of a loyalty platform and it's just a sort of almost like a module component of a loyalty platform, particularly where that loyalty platform is targeted at retailers and merchants that are dealing B2C with customers and to mobilize that sales channel of active customers and being able to incentivize active customers to refer and recommend them to their friends and family and their network and their social. But then you take that kind of one step further and you're, you're, you're bringing that model of almost like SaaS partnership technology, which is usually serves the B2B market. So the vendor partner model, but then you've also got almost the elements of, of an affiliate networked effect, which is the, the type of, uh, affiliate system, almost like a rocket tenor, a commission factory. So it's bringing three quite distinct concepts under the umbrella of a, a partner platform. Yeah, it does. And look, we open our conversations and we go, we go after the customers of, of affiliate networks because largely our, our technology is, is, you know, considered a bit more superior. There's um, far greater access to data, flexibility, profit-oriented outcomes rather than big fixed fee stuff. And so when, when we target the, the customers of, of affiliate networks, they see significant benefit when they come over to our platform, cost reduction, greater scale. So therefore there's greater revenue and greater profitability. So look, that, that's all the good stuff, but that's just our Trojan horse. Like then, then we start the conversation of, hey, an organization, a brand, a B2C brand will typically have channels. They'll have 
the performance team who look after search social and maybe affiliate or affiliate stands out on itself on, 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 its, on its own. Um, then they'd have kind of customer retention or lifecycle marketing where you might have something like that, a loyalty lion type setup sitting over somewhere else. And then there might be some sort of, you know, B2B partnerships team sitting, sitting in a different silo. And so what we say is, hey, do a couple, do what you do now in one of those channels just better with this technology. But then you can re-architect how the teams can gravitate towards a centralized system of record within impact.com. And, and then you can start to work in, in different and better ways. And you know, it, it works. It's this is an evolution, right? As, as I mentioned at the start, like we're trying to create a category and sure it takes time and it's a different way of thinking. And it's it's really hard to articulate the, the value. And I'm, I'm sure you picked that up when you went on our website. And since this conversation, you're starting to piece it together yourself. And that's the job that, that we need to do um, better is to be able to articulate not just who we are and what we do, but but who we serve. Because when, when organizations have a multi, multitude of channels operating within that, and we serve all different ones, you can't market to everyone. But yeah, man, it's a really interesting way to approach businesses and then figure out where they're at and where they want to get to. And it's, it seems to be working as well, which is a, which is a good thing. We've got some very happy customers and they, they sit across, yes, a whole lot of e-commerce, likes of Booktopia, Modibody, JS Health, Woolworths, as I mentioned, True Protein, Sephora. But then we've also got a whole bunch of platform businesses, Uber, Airbnb, I mentioned Canva, um, Disney Plus. So you see globally, locally, like our technology is scalable and, and we're creating a new category. So we're typically where brands go to as they're maturing and then they want to do things in a bit of a different And what I didn't see on the website, and maybe I just missed it and it's entirely possible that I did, but one of the things I didn't see on there is what out-of-the-box integrations you already have with, say, e-commerce platforms. You already mentioned that you integrate out-of-the-box with Shopify and Shopify Plus. Do you have any other e-com platform or ERP integrations that are already out of the box, plug and play, such as BigCommerce or Vtex or NetSuite or, or any of those other sort of major systems that you would typically need to plug into to be able to send data to and, and grab data from? Totally. And look, in the simplest way, yeah, we just need to receive some data. And the way we can do that is we either deploy um, tags on site. It's first party data. It's not third party. So we aren't part of that whole kind of ad world where it's changing drastically. Um, and, and with that, there's also the API solution that we're doing more and more of to save from any cookie concerns, which there are a lot of. But as you mentioned, yeah, we, we've got existing integrations that can stand up straight away with Shopify Plus and of course, big commerce as, as well. But then outside of that, we also work with the likes of Segment, Branch.io, Kachava, AppsFlyer. So we've got a whole bunch of integrations. It's a big part of our proposition that it's not hard to get started with this stuff. You don't have to rebuild anything as such. It's just plugging into existing infrastructure. Exciting. And you've been with the business over three years. How long has impact.com been around as a technology, as a platform? And where is its home base HQ? Where's the base of operations and the, the main parts of the management team located? Yeah, mate. Look, um, I've been with the team, as you mentioned, yeah, th three years and a bit. It's been in this region for about eight years. I only had boots on the ground for the past, yeah, three, three and a bit, four years. It, the technology was being utilized by a bunch of agencies, a couple of brands being serviced out of the, the US, which is our headquarters. But then uh, you would definitely ramp things up in the, the past little while. And Santa Barbara, California, that's where the, the headquarters is. We've got 15 global offices. We've got nearly a thousand a thousand uh, employees globally and then we've got a couple of thousand customers globally as well 
But uh, mate, we've been on a big tear lately. We picked up yeah 150 mil uh, US in funding at a 1.5 billion valuation in SaaS world. You hit a bit of a milestone when you're doing doing great 100 million in, in annual recurring revenue. So that's one of these key milestones that we've recently recently ticked over on our growth trajectory, and it's been great. And look, uh, having been with the business since yeah 2018 and shifting into e-commerce, like my background was largely in you know ad tech and and martech. And then really going into this this SaaS world and going deep and broad within organizations and, and understanding more and more. The one thing that I've personally found out is, you know, like in any business really, which is how important the relationship game is, how important it is to be able to interface with people like yourself, learn from people like yourself, so that you can understand the deep nuances of what's happening inside businesses. Because yeah, tech changes fast. And as you've mentioned in other podcasts of yours, the shift to SaaS has been something that has had a whole bunch of benefits, but it's still, it's, it's not an easy sell, right? You've got to understand businesses intimately and, and intricately to be able to, to really articulate the value and their long-term relationships. You've got to deliver great experiences. And that's one thing that I really engage with my team on, which is deliver great experiences, be great to work with because it's still about people. And I do have to do have to share something with you that I, that I loved. I actually flicked back through a whole bunch of your podcasts, uh, of course, and leading into, leading into our chat today. And one of our big pushes is what we call our content commerce. So more publishers, um, if you own a website, how can you commercialize your content in ways outside of a paywall or more importantly, outside of ads, right? So <laughs> boxes on, on screen or video before video and what have you. But, but one thing that I found is I went back to, I think it was episode 10 that you put out and the topic was content and commerce and you were, you were talking about it. And in that, what I love the most, it was before you replatformed the way in which you do your podcasts, you were driving your car and the map, the maps, the map directions were actually coming up in the back of the, the podcast, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. It just shows that you were doing this so early as well and trying to inform the public about big shifts and in particular content and commerce that you were on that so many years ago and it's something that's coming to the foray right thank you very much it, yeah that that was very much the early days when it was primarily a vlog as opposed to a podcast i repurposed uh, all those episodes as podcasts as well audio only podcasts but yeah look i guess i saw the writing on the wall from even from my own industry and even from my own career and what i was doing it was like and i have to give credit where credit is due gary vaynerchuk honestly just kept kicking our asses at that time and saying look Put your money where your mouth is. If you think you know that you're a thought leader, then prove it. Put your thoughts out there and open them up to critical feedback. And if they have merit, everything is done on merit from a content perspective. And the audience will decide whether your content has merit and whether it's worth engaging with, whether it's worth consuming, whether it's worth giving feedback to, whether it's worth giving their time to in the first place. And so I think I, I really realized that. And I went all in on content creation in that early 2018 phase, literally at the same time that I started my new role at Health Post at that time. And I really tried to make it a focus of everything that I did. And it was trying to think of creative, scalable ways in which I could create content that was going to be interesting, was going to be engaging, was going to be entertaining. But also remember at that time, I still had a lot to learn myself, not only about production, not only about production quality and processes and trying to think about how do I start to make this uh, as opposed to a one-off type of thing, how do I start to make this scalable and consistent? Because as you well know, consistency is the most important part of this game. Because if you produce a podcast once every six months, you're never going to get any listenership. You're never going to get momentum. If you produce one piece of content on LinkedIn, even if you did it every single day for, for a month and then you didn't post again for six months, again, it's all about that consistency and building up 
respect and mana with your audience ultimately at the end of the day that through your content you're building trust and you're building reputation and you're building credibility so for me that's what this is all about it's about giving back to an industry that's given me so much and has actually made my life you know without this industry i wouldn't have the life that i have I'm internally grateful to this industry and by creating content that is my form of giving back that's my form of love letter back to the industry and so that's what i'm trying to do and it feels very much there's a part of this that that aligns with what you guys are trying to do which is to say hey we've got these brands we've got some tech platforms we've got some retail brands we've got some b2b brands maybe some brands that are b2b to c and some wholesale brands some d2c brands but in all cases what you're trying to do is you're trying to effectively allow brands to easily extend their love letter and their thanks to their partners in a quantifiable and transparent way. And that's really what you're bringing to the table as far as I see it. If I took the 80,000 foot view, the helicopter view of this, that's what it feels like you guys are trying to create is to, to build that strong trust relationship between brand and partner. Mate, you just, you use the word, which is trust, right? And trust is listening to someone else's thought, opinion, and then actually acting on it. And, and that's what publishers spend a whole bunch of time doing. They try and build trust with their audience. Influencers are a really interesting question mark. What trust and how authentic is that relationship an influencer has with their followers and what does it deliver? And yeah, giving organizations the ability to say, hey, we want to leverage any third party who can deliver us, deliver us customers. And it's done in a way with authenticity and trust at its core, but yes, it's quantified and it's done so it's scalable. And it's actually something that, that where everyone benefits. That true protein example, everyone benefits the customer, that that partner, i.e. the gym or the or the actual brand themselves. Like everyone, everyone benefits. And I think more and more where we're having these conversations where brands just brands just over a couple of things. Number one, the rising cost of acquisition, which I already touched on that you had with the, the Jason Andrew chat, the rising cost of, of acquisition, particularly from search and social. That's just phenomenal, the, the increase we've seen there. And to try and find ways where you can stand up an acquisition channel that is leveraging your existing relationships, growing and scaling that, that channel and doing it at somewhat of a fixed cost. It's pretty compelling when you start to normalize your, your spend across all channels and see that you've got this one that can really over-index in delivering, in, in delivering acquired customers. And it, it, it's, there's a big shift because as you articulated, there's vendors doing bits and pieces of these things across a marketing team. What we're doing is bringing them all together and, and making sure that they can do it in a centralized way that's scalable and completely transparent. Love it. And how do you guys make your money? I know you're a SaaS platform, so obviously you probably have some sort of a, script, a subscription model with tiers and pricing associated with that. And I'm guessing you have to have that model given the fact that some affiliate programs don't necessarily, or, or some partnership programs, I should say, don't necessarily have a, a financial component associated with it that you can say, we'll just clip the ticket on that and we'll take a share of, of the cut of that as part of our fees. And so I'm guessing that obviously you guys have to host the technology. You've got to support and build and maintain and enhance the technology over time. So how do you guys make your money? Mate, we make money through subscription, as you already called out. And look, this is the other shift in mentality in that um, traditional affiliate networks, you're right, they take a clip of every dollar that comes through. And so what ends up happening is that as you work with those networks, your cost continues to rise or your cost is commensurate the whole way through the, through the revenue. But then what, what we do is we have a different cost base, which is actually based on not the revenue that gets generated, it's based on the, the commission that you pay. And so with that, 
we might say, hey, you pay us $10,000 a month. I'm not saying that's our <laughs> base level by any means, but we might give you $100,000 of, of what we call payment processing volume. So you can process up to $100,000 of commissions in that month and it's only going to cost you 10 grand. But then why that's a benefit to a, to a brand is that, as I said before, you, know, you might have different products that you want to commission differently pay more for this one, less less for this one based on your profit margin. You might want to commission existing customers versus new customers in different ways. You might want to pay more for a new customer. And so what ends up happening is that when you're using a subscription model like Impact, the channel becomes much more cost effective and then it's more profit oriented rather than just be you know a cost associated with revenue. And um, yeah, we're a subscription business and it takes longer <laughs> to sell that because you've got to get more stakeholders in, involved and it's um, typically annual or multi-year agreements. But it's one that there's significant benefit. And it's all bottom line benefit as well. And you guys clearly eat your own dog food. You've got your own referral partner program and I'm guessing you use impact.com to manage that. And so therefore you are directly at the coalface to coin the phrase of your own industry. So you're learning by eating your own dog food and having those partnerships with your partners, your affiliate partners and your referral partners, you have firsthand experience of what this is like to have to manage a large partner base. Yeah. Yeah, we, we do eat our own dog food and we've got demand generation channels like um, any other business and any other SaaS business where we've got our, our business development sales team knocking on doors. We've got our marketing team doing search, social, blogging, events, content. And then we've also got our, our um, channel partnerships team. And our channel partnerships team, they they work through that referral uh, technology that Impact provides. And we have, as I mentioned, people like yourselves, independent consultants who actually go out, know businesses, and they've identified an opportunity and they refer business to us. We have agencies who do the same thing. Those agencies refer business to us through this program. But I, I can proudly say that I would say one of our biggest demand gen channels is our own customers. Once once customers come to impact, once brands come to impact and they, they experience the, yes, the sell, the onboarding and then actually using the tech, they refer us to every other marketer they know who needs this, needs some problems solved or it's time to evolve. And I think that type of advocacy, you, you can't buy that. You certainly can't. Authentic advocacy is the new marketing, right? At the end of the day, for me, when I'm able to have, you know, brands such as yourself and technology such as yourself on the podcast, I don't have an agenda when I come into these conversations. And so for me, this feels very organic. It feels very natural. It feels like a conversation. And then where customers might come to you and it, uh, obviously I haven't signed up for your partner program. I didn't even know you had one. I assumed you did because you run a partnership technology platform. For me, it's just simply about exposing great technology and great people to an industry through my lens on the industry and trying to bring some elucidation to what these technologies do such as yourself and what i try to do is i try to ask the questions that i think the audience would naturally ask if they were in, if they were almost like interviewing you what are the types of questions that that they would ask or what are the types of questions if i was going to come and and i was in the market for your technology what are the types of questions i would ask so that i could start to qualify your technology to see if it was a good fit for my business or a business that i was working for etc and so that's really that's what i try to do with the podcast is to try to bring that lens of the end user of that technology or the partner of that technology what would they want to know without having to get on the phone with a bdm or a bdr that's what i try to do yeah and i think one thing that i've always liked about the content that you push out is that you also have an opinion like i'm i'm, I'm for good or for bad <laughs> you know, that's it's important and 
Um, I'm the head of sales for our APAC team and my job is to sell stuff, but we don't force it. We ask questions, we learn, and if it's not a right fit, we step away. And, and you know, what you're doing here and you're trying to create, yes, the right type of conversation, extract the right type of information, but you've also got experience and, and that's what matters. And so you can form an opinion and that's when you can have more, more meaningful, robust conversations. I'm not one for going and standing on stage and giving a keynote or being part of a panel and, and not create some tension because that's when you get the most interesting results. <laughs> and, and that's one thing that, you know, I've always noticed with your LinkedIn posts and the content that you provide, you've got a bit of news that comes out, you, you can report on that, but then you also have a, an opinion. Uh, and you're very active with your comments as well. So you you engage people, positive, negative, or you, you are very politically astute when you are keep your kind of neutral things and chucking an emoji. So I've got to congratulate you on that. <laughs> Thanks. I try not to, I don't intentionally inflame, but yeah, I do I do have an opinion and I'm, I guess I'm not afraid to share it when it's appropriate to do. And I do enjoy that. I do enjoy, I don't set out to poke the hornet's nest, but I think in the age of political correctness, there is a danger that we water down our content, that there's a danger that we can water down our opinions because it may not be as politically correct to put those opinions out there, especially where they might not be mainstream opinions and their mainstream take on things. But I guess for me, it's the only way I know how to be. I just have always worn my heart on my sleeve. It's part and parcel of my personality. And I would come across as fake, I think. I would definitely come across as inauthentic if, if I wasn't pretty honest with my opinions and my take on things. And I and I'm so grateful that you see it that way and you don't see it as being intentionally incendiary. It's just, hey, this is what it is. And this is my opinion based on my experiences. And your experiences are likely to be different to mine. So therefore, your opinion, opinion may be different to mine. But I think I always try to be respectful of other people's take and their position, even if I don't agree with it. And, and I try to do that even on, even on my podcast. I don't necessarily think that every single thing that every single guest says is 100% spot on, but it's through their lens. And so you can't blame them for having a, an opinion based on their experiences. And I, I just hope that people give me that great that same grace. Yeah, man, you, you've got a lot of um, vendors, a lot of technology providers, because we all want to be heard and we see it as a way to, to reach people. And you've got an engaged audience, which is important for us. That's why you know that's why we have these conversations. And look, I think from someone who's in sales, some of the feedback that I get is that we aren't the, <laughs> me in particular, I'm a little bit too honest sometimes because I think you've got to be honest and you've got to create some human connection. And you don't just say yes to everything for the sake of it. You've got to have an opinion. You've got to be able to challenge in the right way. And then I think what ends up coming from that is, is really strong relationships and, and, and a different type of trust, which you know permeates the conversation that we've, that we've had today. Could not agree more. Listen, I have super, super enjoyed this, Peter. What is the best way if someone is looking at standing up their own partnership program, their own affiliate program, their own sort of almost like network marketing program, if they're looking to do that and they think that impact is potentially a good fit for them, obviously in your website, you've got live chat, you've got, you've got the contact forms, you've got all the normal, you've got phone numbers, you've got your global offices with contact details. I get that. Should someone also try to reach out to you directly or are they best simply to go to the website, find out some information from the website and then go through to either live chat or contact form from there? Or would you prefer that people, uh, particularly if they're in the APAC region, that they reach out to you directly like LinkedIn or something like that? Look, I think it's always um, good to go direct and, and get someone within region and with, with, with local knowledge. And look, Peter Bray, B-R-A-Y, on LinkedIn, at impact.com. I'm based in Sydney, not traveling as much as we used to, but you know, I'd love to get back over to uh, to Auckland sometime soon and get up to the Blueberries Inn and back to some of those amazing restaurants at, at Brutamart. But uh, now, yeah, I'd love to hear from any of your audience, whether they're in New Zealand or, or those many that are in Australia as well. And we always start everything with a conversation.
just hearing where you're at, where you want to go to. And I appreciate appreciate you uh, having this chat with us and the, the thoughtful conversation. Absolutely love it. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your honesty, your insights, your experience from the trenches. It means so much to me, and I'm sure it means so much to the people that are listening out there. And yeah, I would encourage anybody that is thinking about standing up a partner program that is that they can scale, that they can manage, that's professional, that's transparent and honest. Go and check out impact.com and check out the platform because I think that from everything I can see and the discussion that we've had, it feels like a fantastic fit for so many businesses out there, whether that be B2B, B2C, D2C, doesn't really matter. I think everybody can introduce elements of partnership into their business model somehow, some way. So thank you again, Peter. Look forward to chatting with you again soon, mate. Thanks for listening to the At The Coalface podcast. If you want more At The Coalface, you can subscribe to our premium e-commerce and digital newsletter, At The Coalface Digest.